So this is from Majima Middle Length Sayings 117, Mahachatari Saka Sutta. Because I shall teach you noble right concentration with its supports and requisites. What is noble right concentration with its supports and its requisites? That is the right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort and right mindfulness. Unification of mind equipped with these seven factors is called noble right concentration with its supports and requisites. Herein because right view comes first. How does the right view come first? One understands wrong view as wrong view and right view as right view. This is one's right view. What is big what because is wrong view? There is nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed, no fruit or result of good and bad actions. No this world, no other world, no mother, no father, no beings who will be born spontaneously, no good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins in the world who have realised for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is wrong view. Right view, there is that which is given, what is offered, what is sacrificed, there is fruit, and result of good and bad actions. There is this world and the other world. There is mother and father. There are beings who are reborn spontaneously. There are in the world good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins who have realised for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is right view. And there are lots more details in that which I won't go into right now Mm, how does right view come first one understands wrong intention as wrong intention and right intention as right intention wrong intention the intention of sensual desire the intention of ill will the intention of cruelty Mm, you can tease those out Particularly, you know, sensual desire and uh, ill will, any degree of um, of uh, aversion to oneself, to others, one's thoughts, one's emotions, one's body, life, beetles, fellow monks, <laughs> situations, you know, washing up. <laughs> This stuff is uh, harmful. Mm. And um, cruelty, harshness, insensitivity, I don't give a damn, so what, that's your problem. This kind of, you know, (laughs) insensitivity, not just the deliberate torture, but the withdrawal of empathy, the withdrawal of fellow feeling, the withdrawal of listening, attention, and uh, sympathy. Mm. Yeah. And so, with one recognise this is wrong intention, we establish right intention, which is exactly the opposite.
Mm. One makes an effort to abandon wrong intention. One makes an effort to abandon wrong view and to enter upon right view. This is one's right effort. One abandons wrong view. Mindfully one enters upon and abides in right view. This is right mindfulness. One makes an effort to abandon wrong intention. To enter upon right intention, this is one's right effort. Mindfully one abandons wrong intention. Mindfully one enters upon and abides in right intention. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus three, three states run and circle around. Right view, right effort and right mindfulness. So, I think the thing just to begin with is the fact that the Buddha is saying right view comes first. This is a process of consideration, what called yoni somanisikara, deep attention, wisely reflecting, wisely turning things over. This is a faculty that's much recommended, much to be instigated. This is a uh, for beings who uh, often tend to feel that thought is a problem, thought is to be overcome. It's salutary to notice that thinking is considered extremely significant and useful. But deep, wise consideration not the surplus babble. And so this is considered necessary, helpful, in order to act as a foundation for right mindfulness. So this one begins to sieve through the processes that one's heart, mind, system is going through, and say, well, that one, put that one aside. So your mindfulness is established fundamentally, first of all, upon wise consideration, filtering through what's going on in your intimate environment, and say, oh, that one, put that one aside, dwell upon this one, the skillful one. This is the function of wise consideration and how that begins to educate right mindfulness to be what right mindfulness is. So there is such a thing as wrong mindfulness. This is when one has not had right view and this process. So right mindfulness is the ability to bear something in mind, stay with it, stay on topic. And if you're staying on topic with something that's unwholesome, unskillful, deluded, it's best to stop staying on topic with that and begin to check out. Is this right view? What are the results of this? Is it leading onwards to liberation? Is it leading to fruitful uh, results? Is it leading to letting go? Is it leading to removal of hindrances? Or does it just cloud the picture, make more noise, muddy the pond? So we begin to... So the process is really a simplifying and this is one of the marks that we look for in meditation. I talked about firmness, a certain firmness is not rigid. The firmness of one's resolve, firming it up, 
an openness, which means we are not predicting, not expecting, not trying to relinquish the past and stay open to the present. Another very important quality is this sense of simplifying. Simplifying without being simplistic or stupid. <laughs> so that means you're filtering through. This, no, 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 this, this, this. And gradually as you filter through, there's a sense of this sounds right and not only that it feels right. Mind settles. An example in the fourth Sutta Majima for fear and dread. The Bodhisattva goes to the jungle. The Bodhisattva, the unenlightened Buddha, before his enlightenment. I consider remote jungle thickets are hard to endure. Jungle must rob of it, a bigger of his mind if he has no concentration. Mm. When I considered thus, those recluses or Brahmins who, in, who unpurified in bodily conduct resort to jungle thickets, then owing to the defect of their unpurified bodily conduct, these recluses in Brahmins evoke unwholesome fear and dread. But I go to the jungle thicket purified in bodily conduct. Sensing this in myself, I found great solace in dwelling in the forest. With the recluse, whatever recluse is a Brahmin's unpurified in verbal conduct, and let's keep, get, move on, impurified in mental conduct, sensing myself purif- purified in this, I found great solace in dwelling in the forest. So he goes through the whole process he's going through and uh, says because of this, this possibility, then even living in the forest with his... Uh, well, this isn't a forest, let's put it more crudely, more directly, this is a wild jungle. Yeah, with robbers and ghosts and tigers and serpents in the dark, with no just a thin cotton rag around your body. I was able to subdue fear and dread. And uh, in this process, while walking up and down, I kept working on that fear and dread. While sitting, I kept working on that fear and dread. As it did so, tireless mindfulness. Mindfulness was fully established, tireless energy was aroused. But in that process, as you recognize, there's a considerable amount of referencing, considering, turning things over, and uh, dealing with uh, reactions and reflexes that one might very well consider insurmountable. How could you not feel fear and dread in a savage jungle with no no protection, with just the cotton rag around your body? How could you not feel fear and dread? Uh, External environment, horrifying. 
because you develop an internal environment. And so this wise consideration develops your your intimate environment. Oh, I have purity of bodily conduct, purity of mental conduct, purity of verbal conduct, and considering it. Now, actually, I would suggest there's a little more that goes on with that, why it takes walking up and down and sitting for long periods to be able to do it, is it's not just the matter of thought. Thought introduces the topic. It's mindfulness that begins to relay that to your reflexive, your reflexes, your emotional responses, your your automatic nervous system, you might say, your wiring. So it's not just a series of phrases that you recite and that's good enough. No, it's got to get right down into your body. And this is the function of mindfulness when it's founded on right view is to establish it in the body. Now, just once again, we see... um, Foundations of mindfulness and establishments of mindfulness. And um, on a kind of scholastic note, they used to talk about the four foundations of mindfulness as satipatthana. But having referred to some of the Sanskrit versions, they found that actually it's a contraction of sati upatana. Now this may not be blazing headline news to you, but the difference between patana and upatana, <laughs> patana means that's the thing from which the mindfulness grows. Upatana, no, means that's the thing that you put mindfulness on. Your mindfulness is established on right view, and then you put it on the body, or you put it on the thought, or you put it on feeling. And there are only four establishments in or dimensions. These are your four that you stay within. You stay within, you're safe. Wherever you go, you're safe. Wherever you go, you can find refuge, solace. Wherever you can go, you can find release. If you place your mindfulness on these four places where they should be established. But the mindfulness itself is founded through wise consideration and uh, referring to purity of conduct Uh, and it goes further purity of the mind now is not consumed by restlessness and doubt purity Mm. so forth just referring to the purity that is there as it is so the Buddha presents a whole list very impressive list and we might say well yeah but I actually I you know I am one who practices non-violence is that true yes Focus on that in you which practices non-violence, which wants to do it, which sees it, knows it, feels it, and feels the beauty of that, the the gentleness, the uh, subduing of passion and, you know, anger, and enjoys it. I am a gentle person. Yeah. Someone who values verbal straightness. I'm not a waffler. I'm not a, not a diverter. I'm not a deceiver. 
I tell it straight. I'm not trying to manipulate people. I value that in others. I value that in myself. Because the mind is held straight by that. Mind is a slippery thing. It's being held by straight, straight by that. I value that. And we return to that. We reflect upon it. Because these qualities of right intention yeah, and right action are not, should not just be superficial obedience. I follow the rules, but actually heart-cherished qualities that you really get. You really get it. You can feel it. It's directly known. And you, you honour it and you, you feel good with it. And this is the process whereby wise consideration supports right mindfulness and then right mindfulness simplifies this rather lugubrious <laughs> procedure that I've been going through. <laughs> and you can go through it quite a lot to just the simple feel good, feel straight, upright mind, ujjuchitta. Yeah. Resolved, upright. Mm. Checking it out. Then one's energy system is not scrambled, not going contradictory directions. Uh, it can be upright. It's not hiding itself. It's um, open. It's something that's not got shadows in it. It's open. And then, and then yeah. Then this is the this is the quality that mindfulness. Through being mindful of that, mindfulness establishes unification, which we call called samadhi. Now, it's not that I concentrate the mind, though you, that's not a bad way of putting it. What happens is mindfulness concentrates the mind. Yeah. Through mindfulness, it simplifies. It discards what's unnecessary. It it nourishes and lingers in what's suitable, stabilizes in that, the mind is unified. That's the, the mindfulness is the concentration practice. Although it's not this kind of fixating the, the attention on a particular point. It's about sieving through, filtering through, till you come to the meaning the real meaning that uplifts the heart, that strengthens the heart, that gives one a sense of, yes, I can stand with this. And because it's like that, naturally, your heart is unified. This is what I stand for. And therefore, that's called concentration. Which is a very different picture from the idea of of concentrating your attention on a particular point in your body. Which is a Completely different picture. There's a difference between concentration of attention and concentration of heart or citta, which is what the Buddha recommended. He never talked about concentrating your attention on a point. He did refer to unifying your resolve and your attitudes, your intentions, and lingering in it to take it in. And so therefore, there's that mind, then you can sustain that, that sense of the ujjuchitta, the upright mind, the upright heart, and you stay with that, and you notice when it fails, when it slouches, when it goes off, when it scurries, when it hides, when it dozes, and you, wait a minute, reflecting, why is he considering you bringing it back again? 
This is their, our foundation of sati. So you want to check these things out. Hmm? Till you get it in your body. And the process that gets it into your body is breathing in and out. So we're looking at Satipatthana Sutta. You know, first thing, mindfully one breathes in, one breathes out. Establishments of mindfulness, first thing is one breathes in, one breathes out. This is the one that introduces the messages of the heart to the body. Because this is the nature of breathing. Now, again, we kind of redress what we mean by breathing, because in a materialist scientific world, at least prior generations, breathing was simply a matter of putting the air into your lungs and out again. And certainly that is part of it. But the more you widen your focus, you recognize there's a whole lot more going on. There's the, invo- the movements of the muscles. There's a shifting of energy as you breathe in and breathe out. Yeah. You notice the breath rate changes and is affected by one's emotional states. Depressed, joyful, loving, excited, anxious, fearful, affect your breathing rate, affect the energies of it. If you're constricted, your breathing is constricted. Uh, so it's therefore that I, the theme is that if one's breathing is tuning into the topics of right view, and right intention, and you're lingering that, and you connect that mind, that quality, to the process of breathing, breathing will kind of pick up the energy and the meaning and suffuse it through your body till you feel it. This is a process called rapture. It's a refreshing quality. Now, you know, purely anatomical Perspective, air does not travel through your body. Yet the Buddha talks about the air element moving through the limbs. So he's clearly referring to something that's a little more subtle and perhaps less gross material. We have called the fine material realm, which is the energetic domain. And by the energetic resonances of the nervous system are felt through the entire body. Mm. And this is a, a Vedic culture um, which gave rise to trainings like pranayama, yoga, where all this is absolutely basic, you know. Um, and the whole evolving yogic culture, chanting, devotion, bhakti, karma yoga, hatha yoga, pranayama, raji, you know, the whole thing. is non, you don't separate. But essentially the good energies you cultivate in other domains are then transmitted and suffused through your body through breathing. And that evolved in a particular direction, which we won't go into now. But, you know, that fundamental understanding, prana, pana, life force. So, so this thing clearing out the dullness, clearing out the restrictions, clearing out the calming the frazzled or the stressed of our intimate environment.
And there are various kind of tips you can pick up on that. But first of all, just to recognize, you know, the Buddha's there in his jungle, fear and dread, natural, rising. Most of us have not lived in a jungle, fear and dread, but we've lived in another kind of jungle, called the concrete jungle, which has its own messages. And most of these messages are about extreme amount of order and criminality, police, laws, signs, do this, don't do that, travel this fast, not that fast, jump on that, don't jump on that, fine if you do that, officers with uniforms around making sure you do this and do that, fear of criminals and so forth. We live in that kind of environment. We live in a very much a a controlled environment. We're controlled in that particular way, time, place, get to work by 8 o'clock, not 10 past 8, otherwise you get fired. Control environment. Yeah, Got to get to work at this time. Got to get the quotas done, so forth. Highly controlled environment, we live in that. Moving past the thousand people a day, we don't know, we don't connect to absolute, total, well, large loss of fellow feeling. We live in a domain where fellow feeling is not the norm. Mostly you ignore your commuters, get behind the newspaper, get on your phone, ignore the other people, because it's too much to take. And you survive by a mutual pact of ignoring each other. Through the rush hour, it's just too much. So rather than having the quality of fellow feeling, you have the absence of it. It's not that you particularly have harmful intentions towards others, you don't have any intentions towards them. (laughs) Just leave them alone. (laughs) Leave me alone. This is a subdued cruelty, you could say, a subdued absence of empathy. We live in that. We see things on screens. We see people on screens. Most people see a lot more people on screens or dialogue with people on screens than they do in flesh and blood. Extremely remote. One button, he's gone. Fellow feeling is extremely, you know, contrived in some way. And we know also that a lot of apparent fellow feeling is contrived. You know, the, the easy smile on the advertisements, the happy slogan of the politicians, the you'll be all right, sounds which you know are rubbish and lies we're only here to serve you from the companies who are trying to rip you off <laughs> we know all this yeah we also know armies we know schools get here at nine o'clock get here at ten o'clock we know all this kind of control this is our environment right yeah so basically people tend to shut off as much as they can, and just go along. Which is understandable, but hardly supportive of rapture, <laughs> and it's infusing the entire body, because the body basically closes. You get a lot of closure. Heart, the body closes, heart closes. Peaks out when it's my friend come by, and then it kind of closes, because I'm in the, in the subway. Mm. Uh, I mean, this is not ultimate but it's certainly a powerful conditioning force and particularly when you come into things like you know corporate regimes where you've got to do this whether you feel like it or not so you basically close off 
Yeah. Just get on with it, do it. You know, it's the kind of environment. So you've got to be conscious of that, the effect of that, and also, you know, returning to the intimate environment and purifying it of those kinds of attitudes, intentions, felt meanings, felt meanings, perceptions. Breathing in, breathing out. And breathing in, breathing out is also a very good barometer telling you where you're at. Whether you want to be there, whether you do, it's because it's, to a certain extent, it's something you can do, but a lot of it is fundamentally involuntary. I mean, you can basically, you can stop breathing for 10, 20, 30 seconds, but it's going to kick back. Yeah. So if you let it be, it will generally operate in accordance with the signals that are happening in your nervous system, whether you feel comfortable, welcome, open or closed, agitated, stirred or aroused. And that's going to suffuse your entire system. So you want to get the right messages in there. uh, Reflections on loving kindness, reflections on purifying the atmosphere, uh, recognizing the importance of, of supporting that kind of quality in oneself and towards others. Particularly when we do a group retreat, then it's easy to, to sense some of that controlled environment, because it is a controlled environment. I'm certainly not disputing the benefit of that. Yeah. And what it's, it's well-intentioned, skillfully designed. It's not every moment of the day, but we do have to recognize we have the, the precepts, the vinya system, we have the routines, we also have COVID protocols, <laughs> you know, and then it's... 8 o'clock we do this and 7 o'clock we do that. Now, I'm not by any means disputing the validity of that, but there can be a reflex that occurs in group retreats that you've got to look out for, the feeling of, I've got to be mindful, I've got to concentrate, I've got to meditate. And then something you just seizes up. You know, I can't be frog-marched into Nibbana. <laughs> Where does the loosening up occur? that enables the system to operate freely, comfortably, in a relaxed way, that does give rise to a quality of refreshment and ease. Well, right view, right intention, right mindfulness. Breathing in, breathing out. Generating goodwill towards oneself and others, goodwill, including just the ability to not criticize, blame, judge, to not lose sympathy with oneself, to not just hate oneself, abandon oneself, think we're useless. It's cruelty to not abandon fellow feeling with one's with one's heart, with oneself, to not have ill will and to, you know, so this is so often now the primary uh, message it has to be made time and time again because of our social environment is one that is not rich in terms of goodwill, trust, fellowship. And we want to make sure that stays out of a retreat. We don't want those messages happening in a retreat or in a monastery dedicated to purification. So yes, because we're in a 
a group, there's the organization, which is carefully structured, and, you know, to simplify, <laughs> to simplify, to lessen the, the kind of chaotic interactions, to keep things clean and clear. That's the message of it, really. Intimately, you've got to take that message. Uh, I am not being, nobody's bothering me. Yeah. Nobody's judging me. Nobody's forcing me. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't have to feel anything I don't feel. I can be as miserable as I like. <laughs> you don't have to cheer up. <laughs> But you're encouraged to process what's going on. Do I want to have this here? Do I live with this? This perception, this reaction. Oh, this is this is unskillful. This is unharmful. Can I tune in to that which is beautiful, uplifting? And we seek that. We refer to that. Refer to the silence, the open spaces, mm-hmm. uh, the dignity, the nobility of the endeavours, uh, the generosity that's offered, mm-hmm. the steadiness of the support system. Steady, open, generous. Refer to those signs and relinquish put us a check, relinquish the signs of the concrete jungle. Then you live without fear and dread, even in a concrete jungle. You live without constriction and contraction, even within a concrete jungle. You live with a sense of light-heartedness, even in a concrete jungle. Now, you know, getting these qualities suffused. I remember when I was at school, which in some ways is another perceptual reference one can find in this situation. There's the teacher, there's the headmaster up there giving his speech. Here I am, Jones Minor, in class three, listening to this stuff. <laughs> it's one of those schools. Every morning we have morning assembly. Those days, all the kids wore school uniforms, and whenever a, a teacher came by, we had to have our caps. We'd have to take our caps off, bow to the teacher, you know. And you think, silly old idiot, and you take the cap off. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. So you got that, and then we'd go into the uh, hall, and we had to sing, sing the songs about slaying the Israelites and so forth, <laughs> or oh, the, the Lord. And nobody, of course believed a single word of it. You sing the songs and you have the prayer, uh, Father which I never heard about there, hallowed be the name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done forever. Just go through that, you know. And you had guys walking around making sure you were doing it. Of course, you say you just basically do it and it's completely irrelevant. And you just do it, it's part of the system you go through. Yeah, okay. You know, and then really since the amount of shutting off that gets established 
the lack of heartfulness that gets established uh, as a way of conforming to the social norm. So you return. Return to the fellowship. Return to, you know, the teacher, the Buddha, the Blessed One, enlightenment, realization, let touch be touched by that. And in mindfulness of breathing, you're taking some of these messages and as you breathe out, let it go all the way out. And as you breathe in, all the way in. This is the regulator. You know, the inhalation is called the sympathetic, which is generally about how one's activated. So the activation, the arousal, is the inhalation. And we arouse to meet what happens. And then you get the exhalation is the parasympathetic, which means it monsters the sympathetic, says, oh, you're getting a bit stressed here, let's just relax. Yeah. So it monitors the signals. And so generally in meditation we are giving a little more attention to that parasympathetic monitoring our alarm signals, our agitation signals, our grumpy signals. Okay, monitoring, breathing it out. Every time you breathe out, the inhalation, the arousal, becomes the arousal of resolve rather than panic. The arousal becomes the arousal of earnestness rather than struggle. But you need the out-breath to just clear, moderate what your system is doing. And this is really nothing much to do with the nose. Essentially the activator is around the diaphragm area. So if you're focusing, say you're focusing down in your back, particularly just under your ribs where the rib cage ends, down your back. And you breathe in, breathe out. You feel what well, I feel. It sustains your posture because you're focusing in this area between your ribs and your pelvis and somewhere up towards the ribs. That's the area that the diaphragm is tethered to all the ligaments and muscles and so forth, nervous system operating in that region, operating in that central region, which will go into alarm signal when we throw ourselves up and go into relax when we cool down. And this alarm signal can be a red traffic light. You know, if you've got something tighten up, a loud voice, it tightens up. And then the relaxed signal, everything's okay. Is it? Because I'm pure in bodily conduct, I feel harmlessness, mm, kindness, and breathe that out. So this is the way we begin to dislodge some of these inherited signals that we can be carrying in our right down to the way we breathe. No time to breathe. Often the concrete jungle is a world where there's there's no time to breathe. 
or your, your time system is monitored by the clock and the machine and they're moving faster than your organic system so you rev up to meet it. So your system is set at the wrong medium, the wrong level and you need the breathing out to discharge that. Breathing out is probably the best place to begin and feeling it, so focusing in your lower back Breathing out all the way down, as if you're stroking down your spine into the floor. And you'll feel with that, not just the relaxation, but also the firming up, because that connects you to the ground. You feel a sense of firming up on your ground. Breathing in, you feel a sort of a something pulling, breath pulling, and again you get this, because the diaphragm, Ligaments are connected to the spinal cord. You feel a strengthening up your spine. So your breathing in strengthens and straightens you. As it straightens and strengthens your spine, your chest opens. As your chest opens, you get a fuller inhalation. Your shoulders relax. You will feel open. You let it go as long as it wants to go. There's no hurry. You let it hover and pause into openness. And then it turns. And the openness is just open. No time, no pressure, just open. How's that feel? We might never have given ourselves the time to do that. Never was time because we're getting on to the next thing, or we're thinking, planning the next thing to make sure we're on time for the next thing. It becomes habitual. So, really cultivating, inclining towards those open spaces, ending inhalation, feeling your body as it completes that, the ending of the exhalation, feeling your body as it completes that, open, grounded, steady. No pressure, don't have to. It's just happening. You're carried in it. You're you're being held by your breathing. Rather than you holding your breathing and being mindful of it, your breathing is holding you. And you can then keep your mindfulness lightly spread over the entire process. Generally, I recommend a fairly wide focus to get the entirety of that, rather than narrow focus, to get the entirety of it, as the Buddha says, you know, thoroughly sensitive to one's entire body. So it's how those messages and signals run through the nervous system and clear out tension and restriction so that every inhalation feels fuller and freer, every exhalation more deeply discharges. And there's no pressure in that. There's no effort in that. The effort has been to establish the right frame of reference that will allow that to to occur and to stay with that reference. That's the effort, to stay with the reference, not to make anything happen within the frame, but to sustain the frame. And there's this gift. The body will regulate itself and you feel there's a felt result. So this is then 
the Buddha said, when a mind is like this, then it is fit to review and to assess and to discern the nature of things as they really are. So let's take some time for direct practice. <clears throat> 